You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome into Loho Daily. I'm Loho. That's me. I'm Lawrence Holmes, a.k.a. Loho. Today on the podcast, I thought that we would take a deep dive into the Western Conference playoffs And look at a team that we don't really look at. Obviously, we look at what's going on with Golden State or what's going on with with the Rockets. It's a great series. I was up late watching that that game last night. And people know about Dame because Dame hit that big shot. We discussed it on the podcast a couple weeks ago. But the Denver team is fascinating. And I wanted to get a closer look at why they're so good. So... I invited my buddy Brandon Cristal of 760 AM out in Denver on to the podcast today to give me a breakdown, and here it is. The Nuggets didn't sneak up on anybody. I think most people thought that they were going to be pretty good this year. Did you think they were going to be this good? I didn't think they'd be this good at the start of the year. I thought that if they were all healthy, and that was a big if because Gary Harris had battled some injuries and certainly Paul Millsap showing his age uh, after they gave him all that money and he missed so many games last year. But I knew how special I thought Jokic could be, and it was funny because talking to people when they brought him in, like, oh, this guy's going to be an all-star, and you're looking at him, and you're like, come on, right? And then you watch him play over the last couple of years, like, if enough people see him, he is going to be an all-star. And then, honestly, it helped that Charles Barkley jumped in on him early in the year and was calling Jokic the MVP and was saying he was an all-star and calling him the best big man in basketball. And I think that got uh, you know, got the attention that got Jokic in the All-Star game. But really the key to their success, and when you look at the games they've won, it's been Jamal Murray. Yeah, Jokic played out of his mind, but I think that's the expectation when you have an All-Star, right? But Murray playing consistently well and well enough to win games, I think that's what makes them a, a truly dangerous team because the rest of the guys kind of all do what they do. It's that Murray can be so up and down. Yeah, it seems as if Murray's kind of playing the role of the closer on that team where where Jokic is kind of this steady force throughout the game. Yeah, and it's weird because, you know, if you watch those guys on TNT, and obviously uh, they're the best show in, in sports, I think, as far as studio shows go, at least for my money, but they keep talking about Jokic as a point center, which you've never really seen, right? And obviously uh, you being a Chicago, and folks in Chicago certainly know about Scotty is a point forward, and certainly LeBron has done that as well. But you really don't see an offense run through the center at the top of the key very often. I don't know if that was originally by design from Coach Michael Malone. I think it's kind of evolved into that. But he's far away your best player, and he's certainly their best passer. So why not put him at the top of the key? He's got enough quickness to go by most of the people guarding him. He can go work the block when he needs to. Uh, but then it allows the other guys more space because Jokic has pulled the biggest guy off the uh, you know, out of the paint and away from the basket and, and really outside the key uh, a lot. So uh, with Jokic kind of running the point, that allows Murray, like you said, to be the closer. And when he's been able to do that, certainly with the ball in his hand late, if you've got a lead, 
he's as good a free throw shooter, I think, as there is in the league, and we saw that the other night against Portland. So if he's given those opportunities, then you feel really good. The question is, are those guys good enough to really go toe-to-toe if they can get by the Blazers with Houston or likely Golden State? And they came up short against both those teams in the regular season. I think it was uh, 3-1 in both series. And so can they get over that hump, even though they finished with a better record, than the Rockets, uh, and so I think that'll be a big challenge. The biggest concern for me, and we can get into this, is just will the lack of experience across the board be an issue, especially when you talk about a potential conference finals, but they're gaining the experience on the fly, and that's really, as you know, in any industry, the best way to learn is just by doing. Well, let me go back to, to what the Nuggets saw in Jokic and, and, and try to – because, I mean, you look, you second-round pick, right, number 41 or so in, in, in the draft. What did they think they were getting with him? Well, I think the biggest thing they saw was his basketball IQ, and that's something you can't teach. So even though the athleticism may not be there, his feel for the game is something that analytics aren't going to de- determine, right? You, you can look at whatever basketball analytics you want to look at or really in any sport, but a, a feel for the game or a, a player's understanding of the game is kind of inherent. And old-school scouts probably across the board in, in every sport the, whether they like, like or embrace analytics or not, can still get the sense of, oh, this guy understands the game. And so I think that's what they saw early on. Uh, and so when they brought him over, again, hearing that this guy's going to be an all-star and you're watching him in training camp and stuff, it's like, okay, really? Uh, but it's a credit to Tim Conley and his staff, uh, who's their president of basketball ops, that, that they were able to identify him uh, and believe in him and empower him and, and you know help him work his way into much better shape because part of it's just getting older and, and growing into his body a little bit. He's still not going to be confused with uh, you know the Greek freak or somebody like that, but he gets the most out of what he can do. And we saw that in game three when they went to four overtimes and he plays 65 minutes, then he bounces back two days later with another triple-double and seemed totally fine. Who does he remind you of? Because he reminds me of Arvidas Sabonis. Yeah, that, I think that's the the best comparison because of how elite uh, of a passer he is. You and I didn't get to see Arvidas in his prime, but the the best player to ever do it, Michael Jordan, says if Arvidas Sabonis would have come over as a 19-year-old rather than as a 30-year-old or whatever it was, he would have been the second best player in the league. So I don't think Michael's going <laughs> to concede anything. But but basically saying he would have been better than Patrick or better than David Robinson, better than Chuck, better than you name it, better than Olajuwon. And so I, I think that's where the comparisons are. Now, Arvidas is what, 7'2", 7'3", 7'4", he's enormous. And, and Jokic is maybe barely seven feet, which is still obviously enormous, right? And even on a basketball court, but certainly in everyday life. Uh, so he's not he wasn't as big, and he certainly isn't as broad-shouldered and you hear that it, as a youngster, Arvidas, before he hurt his knees, was crazy athletic. Jokic isn't that. He's just athletic enough, like I said, to get by guys, and I think he understands angles. I'd be willing to bet if you went back and looked at how he did as a math student, he'd probably be pretty good in geometry, right, because he's, he sees the game differently and is able to take advantage of the little bit of room he has to operate and, and really make the most of it. Yeah, and then you, you come out in a game where you have a, a ridiculous triple-double, and you're you're putting up i mean that that i'm really fascinated by the nuggets team because outside of jokic and what murray has turned into this year you wouldn't say that it, it's filled with top 5 players at positions yet they're somehow winning games so how is it that they're doing it and, and what 
How how has Mike Malone been able to develop this team concept? Well, I think that's kind of it, right? Rather than plugging pieces in and hoping it's going to work around your best player, it's guys have now played together for a bunch of years, right? They could draft Gary Harris a few years ago out of Michigan State. They're able to add Jamal Murray. They had Moody and had to move him, but they've had Will Barton for a few years. And guys like that, and Harris I think is certainly a class above Barton, but but I'll look at those two, or even a Mason Plumley who comes in and spells Jokic. Uh, Millsap's kind of the anomaly in a lot of ways. So he's been an all-star, but a lot of those were on some bad Hawks teams and some okay Jazz teams, and he's you know clearly, I think, at times showing his age. But he's also that veteran guy. But guys like Barton and Harris and even Plumley, every team would take those guys, whether you're the Bulls, the Suns, the Lakers, the Warriors. You'd love those guys really five through eight. It's do you need those guys being the – core of your team or a big part of it and I don't know if if they really would be anywhere but that's maybe part of the beauty of it is that they've just kind of grown up together and so they understand each other and they understand where they want to be on the floor together and and, you know those inherent movements and that chemistry that you really can't teach so it's not that I'm trying to dismiss what Michael Malone's been able to do as a coach but it's more just embracing okay we don't have four all-stars we have one and a half all stars, and a guy that used to be an all star. But let's just get these guys playing well together, and they play really good defense, which is something they hadn't done. And and certainly at times they they show uh, that they forget how to or, or don't feel like it. But when you talk about a team that was the best fourth quarter defensive team in in the league this year, when they need to lock it down and certainly close out games, they've been able to keep it close. You look at the two road games in Portland. Obviously, the one they lost in the four OTs and the one they won. They're really able to make things difficult for their opponent. We saw it against the Spurs as well. It took them seven games, and this series very well may take them seven games as well. But uh, there's that team element that I think every team in in sports, whether it be pro sports, college, high school, you want to have that chemistry. Uh, This isn't apples to apples, but Evergreen High School here in Colorado, I was talking to a buddy whose kid was playing baseball against them, and Evergreen is just kind of on the edge of town, a little past Red Rocks. Anybody that knows anything about Denver, kind of as you're heading out towards the mountain towns uh, down I-70. And it's kind of a big area, but there's only one high school out there, and there's no private schools really nearby to steal kids. It's not the kids couldn't go there, but they'd be in the car for 45 minutes or an hour mm-hmm. every day both ways. So these kids just kind of grew up together, and now at certain times, to then pick the sport, soccer, football, baseball, basketball, they've been playing together since they were eight or seven, or six, and they go to high school together, and none of them leave for the most part. And so their baseball team this year uh, in 4A, which is the second biggest class, is really good because these dudes have been playing baseball together since third grade. And so, look, pro sports, you're never going to have teams together that long, but the longer teams can play together, the better the chemistry is going to be. I feel like Paul Millsap has been playing basketball since the late 80s. He looks like it. Doesn't he? Like He looks like a throwback player. But I think his whole career, right, even when he came into the league, you're like, all right, how's this guy, 30 already? And now he <laughs> looks like he's 45. Um, it was such a big deal when he picked the Nuggets last year, and then you found out he spent a couple of years uh, or late in elementary school, early in middle school. His mom, their family, they had to get away from a bad situation in Louisiana, came out here and then went, I guess, back that, to that part of the world, uh, somewhere down there in the south, and that's you know where he finished out high school. But so he had an affinity for Denver. Is he worth the $30 million a year they're paying him? I wouldn't think so, uh, but 
they had the money, and he was a guy that had been to multiple All-Star games, and he chose Denver, which is something, right, whether you're Oklahoma City who had to trick Paul George or, or really any of the flyover cities that aren't Chicago, and Chicago doesn't fall into that. But, you know, when you're talking coast-to-coast, Chicago is the only real exception in the NBA where people are like, yeah, I want to go there. No one's going to Minnesota. No one's going to Indiana or even Milwaukee. Maybe Giannis will change that. And Denver hasn't been a destination for frontline talent either. we got Nate Robinson here one year uh, after he had gone nuts for the Bulls because no one else really offered him anything, but the Nuggets didn't either. <laughs> and so to get a guy that actually picked them, it was cool. Is he going to be the key to their championship success? Maybe not on the court, but off the court, his presence is being felt. And another thing that isn't talked about, Isaiah Thomas came in, you know, and I just mentioned Nate Robinson. Isaiah Thomas had a huge playoff run a couple of years ago, and we all do track his his path between the injury and just bouncing around team to team, there hadn't been a spot for him. So then when he finally got healthy this year, Michael Malone was taking minutes away from guys like Gary Harris and Will Barton to get Isaiah Thomas on the court, Monte Morris, who's you know a backup point guard, uh, and it just wasn't clicking. And so it's a credit to Michael Malone that he was able to take Isaiah Thomas off the court and say, look, we love you, we're glad that you're here a part of this team, but we just don't have – rotation minutes for you right now. i got to get these younger guys in because they're playing better. And IT took it like a man and wants to be a part of a winning team, even though he's a really small part uh, at this point, other than being a, a really good practice player and a bench guy. And then one other thing, too, that's scary, Lawrence, and I don't know if the rest of the league is even aware of this because he's kind of out of sight, out of mind, but Michael Porter Jr., who they took from Missouri, who had back surgery, which is always a scary deal, but maybe could have been the number one pick coming out of high school two years ago, uh, before he left Seattle and was going to go to Washington, ends up going to Missouri, playing one game, right, and hurts his back. He's apparently looking unbelievable. He's five really? Five on five. They're not going to play him this year just because it doesn't make any sense. But the idea that they could add a player of his caliber, if he's healthy, to this mix makes him uh, a legit Western Conference contender for the next few years. You know, it's crazy because I remember when the draft came about, I I kind of wanted the Bulls to draft Michael Porter. And and I, they I've needed them to take a big swing, even if it's a swing and a miss, because you're talking about a guy that's got a lot of skills and and could end up being a great player. And yeah, you would have had to redshirt him this year, like the Nuggets have done. But and Denver was in a position that they could do that because you had a good team going into this season. But the the fact that that he might turn into something that's that's exciting to hear and also frustrating because I thought it might happen, but that, that's what you're hearing, that he's giving it to guys in practice. No doubt. And you look at the way the rotation sets up now, realistically you would likely just take Paul Millsap's minutes down the road, right, and maybe not as much next year, but Millsap's in the final year of that three-year deal. So then two years out, after you've got Jokic going to another All-Star game or two, maybe Murray sneaks into one as well. So then you've got a couple All-Stars. Gary Harris is, is playing well, and now you – throw Michael Porter Jr. into that rotation where it's Jokic, MBJ, Murray, Gary Harris, and, you know, other. <laughs> it's a, it picked that fourth guy. It doesn't really matter. And, or fifth guy. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but it kind of doesn't. If you've got those guys, then you're talking about uh, – and there's certainly people that think that the gamble will pay off for, for the Nuggets, and Michael Porter Jr. will be a perennial all-star as well. So it, it, it's funny when you talk about that gamble – the Nuggets have never, and this isn't really a gamble, they've never improved in the draft lottery. So if they've had the seventh pick, they've gotten the seventh pick. And they thought they had a steal with Emmanuel Moutier, and it just didn't click, and they were able to move on from 
And then with Jamal Murray, they thought they had a steal, and it looks like they did at seven. Uh, I believe Steph Curry famously went seven. Do I think Jamal Murray's going to be Steph Curry? No, because there's probably only one Steph Curry. But to finally hit on the guy there, and then forever, how often do we look at both Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili and think, what are the Spurs doing that nobody else did? So to get a guy in the second round in Jokic who has a shot to be an all-star for the next handful of years, if not longer, uh, as a second rounder, it's like, okay, for Nuggets fans that you know have never even been to an NBA Finals, seen their team in the NBA Finals, it's like, okay, we've got our guy to build around. We've got the young guard that if he can just be more consistent, he's a uh, headache on both ends of the floor when he's dialed in. Uh, it feels like things are exciting around here, and I know we're talking Nugs, but with Colorado Avalanche playing the way they are, and the Rockies going to the playoffs two years in a row, it's funny because this is a Broncos town through and through, uh, but the Broncos are the team that has made the playoff, the longest playoff drought right now is for the Broncos. Oh, yeah, the Super Bowl 50, so it wasn't that long ago. But but these other teams are getting in the postseason, and the Broncos are still trying to figure it out. I was going to ask you about that. With Denver being so football heavy and, and like regionally being a great football place, I, I'm curious on what, what's the reaction to the Nuggets' success? Well, I, I think that both Nuggets and Adams, it's a packed house every night. And so it's easier, look, even in Chicago or name a city that where hockey's intrinsic, uh, you, you have your fan base, but hockey fans are hockey fans. You have way more casual basketball fans just because more and more people play basketball at some point and understand the game, and the game's more accessible to them. And uh, certainly in Chicago with Michael Jordan and, and what he did, but I think even in Denver, where they've never had a Michael Jordan, you had guys like uh, Alex English and, and Dan Issel and then you know Carmelo Anthony and Allen Iverson and Chauncey Billups, and now this squad that they have. But it's one of those things where I think people can look at basketball and say, oh, I can fix, I can fix the Bulls, I can fix the Nuggets with one guy, right? Just make a trade for this guy. None of us can look at hockey unless you grew up in the sport and say, oh, if they do this, this, and this, uh, then our team will be better. At the same time, when you look at uh, a team that's now in the second round of the playoffs in both sports, uh, the city's buzzing, and it, it's a real interesting thing because the Rockies are kind of toiling a little below 500 and, and aren't playing their best ball. And the Broncos, it's not that they're an afterthought, but it's a topic worth debating is who, who has captured the city's attention right now. And it feels like a split between the Nuggets and Abs uh, to some degree, but with the Nuggets playing the way they're playing as of late, uh, especially with stealing that win in Game 4 after losing the heartbreaker in Game 3, uh, it, it, the Pepsi Center is rocking every night when they have home games, and, and it's all anybody's talking about. The Broncos, they're certainly not an afterthought, but it's a time of the year where you're just not talking much football post-draft, so they can kind of fly under the radar and get their stuff figured out at least uh, before they hit training camp, and they've got the earliest training camp because they're playing in the Hall of Fame game. Okay, so Damian Lillard went crazy in the last round. He was spectacular and was the story of the playoffs. He's been fine in this series against the Nuggets, but he hasn't hasn't exploded. What has Denver done to slow him down? Well, I think it's sort of the the way they play defense, and you know I mentioned earlier that their fourth quarter D is the best in in the game, but they have a bunch of guys that are kind of interchangeable. Like if you don't know the Nuggets and you looked at Will Barton. Uh, and certainly Jamal Murray and Gary Harris are all kind of the same. And because you can throw a bunch of different guys at him, I think that can be annoying too because it's not, oh, I've got this guy on me. I'm on the floor for 35 minutes, and he's on the floor for 35 minutes, and we're going to be matched up. It's that they rotate through, and because they'll play Murray sometimes on the ball, sometimes off the ball, he'll switch who he's guarding as well. And so I think you're – and it's certainly Murray the most, but you're throwing different guys at him that all – 
are bringing you know their A game because they know their number one job is to stop Damian Lillard. Then their second job is to do whatever they need to on offense because the ball is going to go to Jokic and he's going to be able to to run the offense and and put everyone in in the best spot to get easy buckets. Whereas Lillard obviously has to be that guy, but then you can go at Lillard on the other side, right? He's got to conserve some energy, uh, and if he doesn't, and, and I'm not saying that he is or does, uh, but it's going to slow him down a little bit because this just rotation of guards coming at him, whoever he's guarding, you know, isn't playing as hard or as many minutes. They're playing a lot, certainly Murray and Harris are, but they don't have to be for the Nuggets what certainly Lillard has to be for the Blazers. So I think it's kind of a combo uh, of all these things, you know, being factors, and they're able to slow him down. You're not going to stop that guy. It's how much can you slow him down and how hard can you make his night? Uh, because as good as C.J. McCollum is and as good as some of their other pieces are, we know that he's the straw that stirs the drink in Portland, maybe even more so than Jokic in Denver. And so I, I, I certainly would never count him out. And uh, you don't want to take anything for granted. I think you just want to keep doing what you're doing and hope that uh, you can just make his life hard. Do you think that either one of the teams in the series that you're watching have a chance to be either of the two teams that are playing in the other series? I do, only because if they can stretch that other series out to seven, not that this one won't also go seven, but it, it doesn't really give any rest. You don't think Boogie's coming back, even if Boogie says he is for Golden State. Clearly something's not right there, and it could just be the distractions of is Clay sticking around, where's KD going, is he going to New York, and and they just come up short because there's too many distractions, right? They made such a big deal last year about what a great coaching job Steve Kerr did to manage all the distractions, and the rest of us are like, what's your distraction that you can't decide whether you want to drive a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or a Porsche to work today? <laughs> like, you've got problems that no one else has. I'm sorry that you're distracted because Draymond and Steve Kerr are fighting about rotational minutes or whatever, or how they want to handle a situation. Uh, but I think at some point uh, enough smoke and there's a little bit of fire, right? You've got four alphas on the court, or I guess three plus Clay, who certainly wants to get as many shots up as you'll let him, plus Boogie's in the locker room. Uh, and so I think you, you factor it all together, and, and maybe Golden State is their own worst enemy, uh, and you keep a game close, and we know how it is, keep a game close, and, and you get some uh, lucky bounces, and maybe you can steal a series. And with the Rockets, they're obviously shooting a million threes, and even last year they were super close to going to the finals and just came up really cold. Maybe you have a really good team defense and focusing all your attention on Harden uh, can, can sneak you past can, can sneak you past either of them. So I, I certainly wouldn't go to Vegas and throw a lot of money down, but let's say it is the Rockets. Well, then you're going to play four games in Denver where the Nuggets have the best home record in basketball and the crowd noise can be a thing. The elevation altitude certainly is a thing, uh, especially if you're playing – after long games or overtime games. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I wouldn't go bet on it, but I wouldn't rule it out. It wouldn't blow my mind if the Nugs or the Blazers sneak into the Western Conference Finals, obviously, and, and sneak past either the Rockets or the Warriors and, and represent the West in the NBA Finals. Well, BK, I appreciate the time, man. We'll have to do this again where we could we could focus on Chicago sports or something else, whatever you want. As a matter of fact, we don't have to even do that if hey, you I'm, want. I'm around. If you're doing this every day, I'm sure at some point you're going to run out of people to talk to, so uh, circle back around and we can talk. We can talk Avengers uh, and where the Marvel Cinematic Universe goes next, or or Starbucks uh, cups on Game of Thrones, whatever you want. But all right, I'm I'm holding you to that because I do want to talk uh, after. I want to get a whole bunch of different people's views on Game of Thrones once it ends. So I'll okay. put you in the rotation of people of beyond that week. 
Sounds great. I appreciate it. All right, BK. Thanks, man. That is Brandon Cristal. He's one of my favorites. He's a transplant in Chicago, and we've known each other for a really, really long time. And now he's one of the hosts over at Orange and Blue 760, and you can check him out on KOA Radio out in Denver as well. So he's got a lot of different allegiances, and he's a fun dude and has a great voice. That's why I love talking with him. Hope you enjoyed the breakdown of the Western Conference, kind of looking from the perspective of the Denver Nuggets. I know. It was fun, right? Found out about Jokic. The boy can ball. Can straight up ball. I'll be back with you tomorrow.